0: Well, good morning again, guys. Uh, my name is Sean. Um, I'm the lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria, and uh, glad you're here. I try to say this every week. If I don't know you, um, and I know there's a, a lot of new faces out there, I'd, I'd love to to get to know you. Um, meet you in the lobby, somewhere in the lobby, and, and just come up and say hi. That would be awesome. So, uh, two real quick things before we we bust open, Mark. Um, Happy Mother's Day. I know that's already been said six times, but happy, happy, happy Mother's Day. Um, there's two kind of cool things that we're going to be doing today in light of Mother's Day. The first thing is when you go out of here, okay, men, I am clearly not talking to you right now. Um, when, when you go out of here, every woman in the house, okay, all the ladies, not just the single ladies, all the ladies, they, um, when you go out here, okay, um, you're going to go out these doors and there's going to be two... Um, uh, aluminum bins, and we just bought all kinds of drinks, drinks that I can't even pronounce, they're so fancy. We were going to do Izzy's, but then we started seeing fancy drinks like Perrier water and um, Le Croix drinks or whatever those things are called and uh, Tamborino's or whatever those things are, orange. Anyway, so there's a lot of good drinks. And now here's the trick to that. Um, my wife was sitting at the kitchen table yesterday, and my boys came running in from outside, and they take a big swig of her water, first Corbin and then Titus, and she just looks at me. Sitting on the laptop, she just looks at me and goes, one of these times I would like to just have a drink to myself, okay? And we knew then, um, so here's the deal, okay? We thought ahead for you moms in the house. We know you got kids, and they're going to want to take your drink. But we put juice boxes in the bins also. So when they say, hey, can I have a drink? You say, yes, yes, you can. And you give them their own drink. And when they're done with that drink, that's all they get, okay? (laughs) Set some boundaries, people, okay? So... That's what they get. They, they, so, so you get a, a free drink. But not only that, at the end of our service, when we take our offering, all the money that comes in today um, in, in response to how moms, how great moms are, we are going to give to um, our foster care and adoption agency, AZ-127. So everything that comes in, we want to give to help those of you who are looking to adopt. I'm in the process of adopting. We do something called AZ-127 that helps uh, foster and adopt, and it's, it's a really cool thing. So um, we'll, we'll be more at the, at the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah, one person loves There you go ridiculous. I was going to make them, but I appreciate you stepping up to the plate um, and doing that. So um, here's the deal. We've been in the book of Mark. So if you can, if you already haven't, because Amanda uh, read that, you can open up to the book of Mark chapter four. Uh, I'm going to go through this. Now here's the deal. Obviously there is um, a baptismal behind me, technically a horse trough and uh, we're going to be doing some baptisms. I'm going to be pretty short in explaining our passage today, about 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to do some really cool stuff at the end, and it's going to get a little crazy chaotic um, with you getting your kids and bringing them back in. It's just going to be a lot of fun, so um, it's going to be a little different if this is your first time. This normally is not how it would go. Now, here's the deal. Um, we started, like John said, about three months ago, going through the book of Mark, and as we're going through the book of Mark, um, we really put something on the table immediately, um, in that we wanted to read a gospel where we could really find out who Jesus is. Because here's the deal. No matter where you're going on Sundays, people are saying they're all about Jesus. And for even us, where we have shirts that have been made that say, all of life is all for Jesus. And if we, we are about Jesus, if we are about Jesus' mission, we have to begin to ask the question, Who is Jesus? And we felt like Mark answered that question perfectly because as you read through the narrative of Mark, nobody knows who Jesus is outside of the demons. I mean, us as the readers, we're reading it and it's declaring who Jesus is, but never ever in this kind of dramatic irony, people are going, who is this guy? Even in our passage today. So we get to really ask this question, who is Jesus and we found out a ton of cool stuff about Jesus right we found out that he's come on this earth because he's broken into the darkness he's bringing his kingdom because the time is fulfilled and it's now and so he's bringing the kingdom of God because it is at hand and as he brings this kingdom he is showing us what that kingdom looks like and so if you've been with us from the beginning, he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, he's saying he is Lord over all, he's, um, he's negating pharisaical legalism, and he's pushing back against anything that says, I can earn it, right? And so over and over and over, Mark is declaring who Jesus is. And, and John, last week, who preached for us last week, um, went through like I don't know, 100 parables, right? He was, that was like the worst task ever for John. He was given like, all right, you preach just like seven chapters of the Bible. Um, it, he went through tons of parables. Now, here's, here's what you got to know. Um, what we're going to pick, in, to pick up today is the evening of one day in which Jesus has been spending teaching all those parables in the same day before he taught all those parables his family tried to kidnap him to try to stop him do, doing from what he was doing before that all the pharisees were super upset at him that matter of fact the pharisees came down from jerusalem and they're trying to get him to stop what he's doing so it's been a, been a pretty packed day and now as the day is winding down that's what we pick up and we hear uh see it in verse 35 if you could turn my mic down that would be awesome matthew sorry i just gotta start yelling soon and i can only hold it for so long um Verse 35, and and when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Um, And and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with them and a great a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling so just real quick again summing up as it says in the very beginning of 35 on that day that day all these things have been happening this is one day in the life of Jesus all these things have been taking place so he decides he's going to go to the other side and we'll find out next week what that other side entails he's going to go to the other side of where he is he's going to cross this sea That he's been sitting in. Because if you remember. He's telling these parables. But there's so many people. They are crowding around him. So he gets in a boat. To create some space. So he's in that boat. And in verse 36 it says. And leaving the crowd. They took him with them in the boat just as he was. So they take him in the boat that he is in and they begin to cross the sea. And there's other boats with them, uh, with him. That's what it says in verse 36. So just to paint the picture, here is Jesus with his disciples in this boat and it's nighttime. So the stars are reflecting off the the, the Sea of Galilee. And so they're going across this sea with all these other boats kind of surrounding Jesus. And it's, and it's, um, it's, it's a really cool picture if we can kind of use our imagination. So verse 37 says this, and a great windstorm arose... The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So just some, some uh, context here. You have the Sea of Galilee, which is, and, and maybe this doesn't matter to you, but it, it does pertain to the storm itself. is 620 feet below sea level, okay? And there's these ravines that surround in these mountains, this, this Sea of Galilee, which means as this air comes down the mountain, it goes through these ravines, and it creates this huge whirlwinds, and it picks up, and these storms can come out of nowhere, right? So out of nowhere, they, they hit the, the, the sea, and it's calm. But now as they're going, there's this great storm that arises. So let's read it again so you kind of have that context. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat as, um, as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking. That, that in the Greek, like constantly breaking over and over. You have some like uh, deadliest catch stuff going on. So that the boat was already filling. And then, And then this takes place. But he was in the stern asleep. In the cushion. Now, um, the the in Matthew, he uses a word called s- "seismos," which is the same word for earthquake. That he literally feels like in this story that the lake is shaking. And here's Jesus in a boat. He's sleeping, and the boat is longer than the stage. It's not a tiny boat. It's a it's a pretty large boat, large enough for him to kind of lay down. It's about seven feet wide. He's laying down asleep on the cushion. Another way you can translate this word is like a hammock that's going from um, side to side of the boat. And he's just sleeping there. And the earth feels like it's shaking. Shaking, okay? There's this great storm. He's asleep in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, I want to stop real quick because it's really important we understand the context here. Most of the guys in the boat, y'all listen, they're fishermen. If anybody has seen storms, it's these cats, right? So I was in the Philippines about five, um, about five years ago, and the Philippines is just thousands of islands, right, that you're going from island to island to island, and um, a boat went ahead of us, my, my uh, buddy, uh, Micah, and this, this teenager that we had with us, Austin, went on this boat and this storm, and we're talking Philippines, right, like monsoon times five, this storm rolls in, and, uh, and, and they have to turn back. Well, when they're coming back, Micah, who's Hispanic, is white as a ghost, right, His uh, Oh, hilarious, right? And I'm laughing. He's so scared. Like, we just almost died. But the the fishermen on the boat were cracking up, okay? You could see, you could hear their laughter from like a quarter mile away. And they're just pointing, physically pointing at Micah, laughing at him, okay? Because fishermen know storms. Like, if you're not a fisherman and you're you're experiencing, he goes, we're going to die. That's one type of storm. But when the fishermen say they're going to die, that's a whole other type of storm, okay? So the fishermen are going, hey, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die, okay? Now, let's, let's uh, go from there. He says, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Which, just a side note, is a crazy, um, a crazy kind of infusion of the incarnation that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, right? Because um, in a moment, he's going to make the sea just calm down. But he's so tired, he's sleeping through a storm. There's this like... God understands weakness. He, he understands what it means to be tired, but at the same time, he's all-powerful. Something really cool for us to kind of um, uh, meditate on sometime. Verse 39, it says this, And he woke, awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. We've seen this word rebuke before, haven't we? Um, this is the exact same word, both in English and Greek, that Jesus uses to rebuke demons. Demons. He literally looks at the sea and says, peace, be still. It, and, and Mark says he rebukes the sea the same way he rebukes demons. And when he says it, uh, he says, uh, peace and be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Three of the, the Gospels, um, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all talk about this ceasing, right? So there's this turmoil so bad that fishermen are scared. And then now suddenly, the, what's, the language that's trying to be conjured up here is there's this shoo, like glass, like like crazy, like this storm, and then nothing, stillness. Um, Tim Keller, uh, he wrote a book called the the the, the reason for God. He has a really awesome. Um, Declaration in here when he he says this, this is what he says, speaking about this text specifically, he said, uh, Jesus did not call on a higher authority. If you read any of the old miracle healing legends, the healers call on a higher power. They say in the name of blank, I say, Jesus says simply be still to a storm by his actions here. Jesus is demonstrating. I am not just someone who has power. I am power itself. Anyone and anything in the whole universe that has any power has it on loan from me. Jesus, according to Mark, is making a declaration here. I'm not just kind of making a break in the storm. No, 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 no. I own the storm. Okay? So I am over. Here's the storm. Stop. Kindergarten cop, best quote ever, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, is super upset, and he goes, Shut up! Right? This is like... I mean, you know, I don't know how Jesus is saying, but he's, I just picture he's in a nap. And I know what I'm like when I get woken up from a nap. And he's like, gosh dang, stop it. (laughs) And then he goes back. You know what I mean? I don't, so anyway. So here, here's Jesus. He he gets up. He, the storm is still, he has authority and power showing it in this moment, how great he is. Any other power comes from anywhere else. They have it on loan from Jesus, according to Keller. Um, And then it says this in verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Uh, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? I want to read verse 40 again. It says this, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I love what Jesus is doing here in the statement after he rebukes this storm because it, 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 it comes from this place of have you still. Like, we just went through all this, guys. Like, do you still not see? Like I, I was here and remember when, when that person was sick, I made them well. Re- remember when that person had demons? I, I cast those demons out. Remember when I said I was Lord of the Sabbath and you still don't believe? How are you amazed at this? I mean, he immediately pushes against this prosperity gospel in our culture. It's not the, the quantity of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Can you not see that in the midst of your doubt, I'm not asking you to conjure up belief. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to see what I've done, what I'm doing, and what I'll continue to do. Do you still not have faith? Look at all the things that I've done. And then he says again in verse 41, Mark says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? There's this uh, uh, flick, isn't there, right? Because they're afraid, and Mark intentionally throws in this word great, megas, this great fear. They were filled with, Great fear. So the storm happened, and however afraid the storm is, however big the storm is, and some of us, man, if, if maybe you've been in the monsoon where you're thinking the roof is going to come off the house, right? And you're saying there's lightning, so you think well, I might die. Okay, there's this storm where they're so afraid they're going to die, and they have fear, and yet all of that is kind of encapsulated to this idea. Well, that's fear, but Jesus, He causes great fear. So however bad we think that storm is, Jesus is bigger. However crazy we think that storm is, Jesus is badder. So, so they have great fear. And then they say this, even the sea obeys him. Why, why the word even, right? So this, this is a, a complete removal from our culture, um, and, man, ancient times, the sea is this huge unknown thing. They don't got guys traveling down, you know, thousands of yards to see fish that have bulbs on their head. Or they, they don't have this. They just know that the sea takes life. And, um, and it takes life, and, and storms come out of nowhere. And we weren't meant to, like, you know, like, just travel on water, right? We're, we're, we have feet. We're on land. And so there's this, and they saw the sea as this, like, This big, powerful ball of maybe for some death, evil, even in some cultures at the time, very demonic. And and they look and go, even the sea? I mean, maybe the dude had power on land, but we're talking the sea? Even the sea obeys him? and, and, And here it is. That's the end of the story. So the story ends with this idea of Jesus is awesome. Even the sea obeys him. Look how great Jesus is, which um, causes some, some things uh, within us, right? Because maybe you're not a Christian in here, and, uh, and you're really kind of contemplating God, and you, you're trying to figure this Jesus thing out, and there's this stumbling block that we constantly run into in our culture, um, and it's, if God is all-powerful, um, th- then why do bad things happen, right? And, and let me just declare very, very simply, Jesus is all-powerful powerful he has all authority nehemiah 9 6 says that he creates the land the livestock on the land he creates the sea and all that are in them and he preserves them literally he holds them together the same language is used in hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 when he is upholding the universe by the word of his power even in this moment right now he's holding all things together Job 34, 13, and 14 says that if the Lord was choose to remove his spirit from the earth, all man would instantly return to dust. He, in this very moment, is the reason your skin is not falling off. He preserves you. And here is this ocean, which we're told in Isaiah 40, chapter uh, chapter 40, verses 12 and 13, that he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. He picks up the earth like a speck of dust. He knows the weight of the earth. He holds the mountains and valleys on scales. He measures the heavens with the widths of his fingers. Heaven is this big. This is God. And he has declared over and over, I am incarnate in this moment. I rule all things. I am Over all things, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it's through him. Uh, Man, Romans 11, verse 36, that it's through him, it's for him, it's to him, are all things. This is Jesus, and the disciples in this moment finally see, even the sea obeys him. All things submit to him. And man, this doesn't just end. There have been people throughout our history that have recognized this biblical truth. So maybe you disagree with it, but you cannot disagree with that it's biblically there. So maybe your rub is against the Bible, but you can't disagree that the Bible would tell us that he is over and in control of all things. A man named Abraham Kuyper in the 17 and 1800s has a phenomenal quote to describe this very idea. This is what he says. There is not a square inch in the whole dominion of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! So you will wake up tomorrow in your bed, put on your shoes, in your clothes, in your house, get in your car, drive down the streets that your tax dollars have paid for, get to your job, talk with your coworkers, come back home, play with your children as you cross your lawn. And in the whole midst of all that's going on, Jesus looks and says, mine, 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 mine. There's not one square inch in all of creation that Jesus does not go, that's mine. I I follow a blog, um, and I thought the author of this blog said it perfectly when he says this, Christ is the origin and the destiny of every object you have ever seen, every person you have ever heard or encountered, every idea you have ever contemplated. Without his express, immediate, and personal sustaining power, this very instant, the objects you see in front of you right now would cease to exist before you, and you would not outlast them. He is the past, the present, the future of everything and everyone you will ever touch, see, hear, smell, or taste, and many more that you will never know even existed. He is over All things, and if he is over all things, then we are forced to go. The dude is sitting in a boat, and we're gonna die. If he is over all things, then why the storm? If he is all powerful, if he is all knowing, if he is in all control, if even the wind and the waves obey him, then why the storm? I wholeheartedly believe the Bible answers this question Isaiah. Um, talked about it, but specifically I want to go to Psalm, um, and you can go there if you want, um, chapter 107, and I'm going to read something for you that I think will help. Um, I hope it will help anyway. This is what it says. Uh, I'm going to read it and and, and hopefully explain some of this. And I hope that I get at the heart of the way Christians should view what is going on when we experience some of these things. There's a clear delineation between what's taking place in Psalms here in chapter 107 and and what our passage just said at the end of Mark chapter 4. Um, In this Psalm, David is writing about this idea of how good God is. And he continues to declare this truth. God is good. God is good. And he continues to say, hey, let the redeemed of the Lord say so right. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good over and over and over and over, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And then you get to verse 23, it says this, talking about some people who should declare that God is good. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters, They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves and the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plights. They reeled and staggered like drunk men. And were at the, at their wits end. So this is what it says. There are some who should declare that God is good. Because they've been out on those waters before. And as they're out on those waters. Storms have come. And they've taken them so high. And it's a beautiful poetry. And they've slammed them down to the depths. And they're staggering like drunk men. And they are at there, And it says there. Wits in. They don't know what to do. Matter of fact, the Hebrew says they've conjured up all the wisdom they can possibly do to answer how to fight this. But there's something far greater going on. I I don't have an answer as to why the storm is around me. And I don't know what to do. I'm at my wits end. And then he says this, declaring about those people why they they should say that God is good. In verse 28, then... Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves in the sea were hushed. Then they were glad in the waters; they were glad the waters were quiet. And He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. So what Psalm 107 just said is, "Yes, He brought the storm." But he brought the storm so that at the end of it all, they can be thankful for what they have. And their attention, wherever it was, was put, and, and, and it leans towards this idea towards evil desires, he wakes you up with the storm. So why does God bring the storm? Because you're a stallion that needs to be broken, bro. That's why. Because you have so much pride in your heart that you need to be humbled. We're told over and over and over in the New Testament that we are to rely on this hope. And sometimes our hope gets tangled up in the things of this earth. So when God removes those things, we go, I've got nothing else. We're forced to go, God. He he does this because he loves us. And here are the disciples asking this question that every single one of us ask. Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't, Don't you if I'm Jesus in that mouth, do I care that you're perishing? That's the reason I came. That's the reason I'm here. You'll sell me out for gold. You'll sell me out in the moment where a little girl around a fire says you're, uh, that, that you're my disciple. In this moment, you're going to flee, John. Do I care that you're perishing? People will spit on me. People will flog me. People will crucify me. I'll experience tiredness. I'll experience death. Do I care that you're perishing? I care that you're perishing more than you care that you're perishing. Just because you're in a storm doesn't remove the fact that I care about you. You know, it's it's so crazy. 29 instances where we see Jesus after his death at the right hand of the Father. 29 instances we see as people either open up heaven, where Paul describes um, um, that Christ sitting at the the right hand of the Father. And of those 29 instances, every single one of those instances talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, except one. There's one instance where it does not describe Jesus like that. And it's the only instance in which we have the full story of a martyr in the New Testament. It's the story of Stephen. As people are stoning him to death, he looks into heaven and it is said over and over, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father. He's sitting at the right hand of the father. And now as one of his chosen, one of his children is being martyred to death, we have the first account where it says Jesus is standing At the right hand of the father. Does he care that you're perishing? He cares so much that you're perishing. He's willing to give you disease of the body to save you from disease of the soul. That's how much he cares about you. Yes, he cares that you're perishing. And yes, you're going through a storm and it's hard and it's tough, but it's not because he doesn't love you. It's the exact opposite. The same book, Keller actually makes a great quote. He says this, if you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. You can't have it both ways. That in these moments that at least for Christians, we would see, yes, you're in the storm and you feel like you're perishing and we look to the heavens and we shake our hands. You're killing me here. You're killing me here. Don't you care that I'm dying here? Yeah, oh, I care. I care enough to let you go through this storm so that you would see my mighty power, that you would be broken of these idols, that you'd wretch yourself loose of the sin that you're holding so, so tightly onto. Yes, he cares. He cares more than you will ever know. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage because we can get tied up in this passage thinking it it is about us. But we are desperately reminded that this passage is about you. It's about your authority. It's about your power. It's about your grandeur, majesty, how awesome you are. The fact that you can speak to storms and say, be still, and they'll stop being storms. We're so grateful for that. We're grateful that we serve a God who is in, control of all things. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.